Chapter One, Part Two of Books Fatal to Their Authors. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Margaret Espayat. Books Fatal to Their Authors by Peter H. Ditchfield. Chapter One, Part Two. Our next author was a victim to the same inconstancy of mind which proved so fatal to Francis David, but sordid reasons and the love of gain without doubt influenced his conduct and produced his fickleness of faith. Antonio de Dominis, Archbishop of Spalatro, was a shining light of the Roman Church at the end of the sixteenth century. He was born in 1566 and educated by the Jesuits. He was learned in history and in science, and was the first to discover the cause of the rainbow, his explanation being adopted and perfected by Descartes. The Jesuits obtained for him the professorship of mathematics at Padua and of logic and rhetoric at Brescia. After his ordination, he became a popular preacher and was consecrated Bishop of Segni and afterwards Archbishop of Spalatro in Dalmatia. He took a leading part in the controversy between the Republic of Venice and the Pope, and after the reconciliation between the two parties, was obliged by the Pope to pay an annual pension of five hundred crowns out of the revenues of his see to the Bishop of Segni. This highly incensed the avaricious prelate, who immediately began to look out for himself a more lucrative piece of preferment. He applied to Sir Dudley Carleton, the English ambassador at Venice, to know whether he would be received into the Church of England, as the abuses and corruptions of the Church of Rome prevented him from remaining any longer in her communion. King James I heartily approved of his proposal and gave him a most honorable reception, both in the universities and at court. All the English bishops agreed to contribute towards his maintenance. Fuller says, it is incredible what flocking of people there was to behold this old archbishop now a new convert. Prelates and peers presented him with gifts of high valuation. Other writers of the period describe him as old and corpulent, but of a comely presence, irascible and pretentious, gifted with an unlimited assurance and plenty of ready wit in writing and speaking, of a jeering temper and of a most grasping avarice. He was ridiculed on the stage in Middleton's play, The Game of Chess, as the fat bishop. He was well-named de Dominus in the plural, says Crackenthorpe, for he could serve two masters, or twenty if they paid him wages. Our author now proceeded to finish his great work, which he published in 1617 in three large folios, De Republica Ecclesiastica, of which the original still exists among the Tanner manuscripts in the Bodleian Library at Oxford. He exclaims, says Fuller, in reading, meditation, and writing I am almost pined away, but his fat cheeks did confute his false tongue in that expression. In this book he shows that the authority of the Bishop of Rome can be easily disproved from Holy Scripture, that it receives no support from the judgment of history and antiquity, that the early bishops of the see had no precedence over other bishops, nor were in the least able to control those of other countries. He declares that the inequality in power among the apostles is a human invention, 
not founded on the Gospels, that in the Holy Eucharist the priest does not offer the sacrifice of Christ, but only the commemoration of that sacrifice, that the Church has no coercive power, that John Huss was wrongfully condemned at the Council of Constance, that the Holy Spirit was promised to the whole Church, and not only to bishops and priests, that the papacy is a fiction invented by men, and he states many other propositions which must have been somewhat distasteful to the Pope and his followers. James rewarded de Dominis by conferring on him the mastership of the Savoy and the deanery of Windsor, and he further increased his wealth by presenting him to the rich living of West Ilsley and Berkshire. In an unfortunate moment he consulted Count Gondomar, the Spanish ambassador, who determined to be revenged, and persuaded the Pope to send the most flattering offers if he would return to his former faith. Pope Gregory XV, a relative of de Dominis, had just ascended the papal throne. The bait took. De Dominis, discontented with the non multum supra quadrigentas libras annuas which he received in England, and pining after the duodecimilia coronatorum promised by the Pope, resolved to leave our shores. James was indignant. Bishop Hall tried to dissuade him from his purpose. Tell me, by the immortal God, what is it that can snatch you from us so suddenly, after a delay of so many years, and drive you to Rome? Has our race appeared to you inhospitable, or have we shown favor to your virtues less than you hoped? You cannot plead that this is the cause of your departure, upon whom a most kind sovereign has bestowed such ample gifts and conferred such rich offices. The archbishop was questioned by the bishops of London and Durham, by order of the king, with regard to his intentions, and commanded to leave the country within twenty days. He was known to have amassed a large sum of money during his sojourn in England, and his trunks were seized and found to contain over sixteen hundred pounds. De Dominus fled to Brussels, and there wrote his Concilium Reditus, giving his reasons for rejoining the Roman Church, and expecting daily his promised reward, a cardinal's hat, and a rich bishopric. His hopes were doomed to be disappointed. For a short time he received a pension from Gregory the Fifteenth, but this was discontinued by Urban the Eighth, and our author became dissatisfied and imprudently talked of again changing his faith. He was heard to exclaim at supper on one occasion that no Catholic had answered his book De Republica Ecclesiastica, but that he himself was able to deal with them. The Inquisition seized him, and he was conveyed to the castle of St. Angelo, where he soon died, as some writers assert, by poison. His body and books were burned by the executioner, and the ashes thrown into the Tiber. Dr. Fitzgerald, rector of the English College at Rome, thus describes him. He was a malcontent knave when he fled from us, a railing knave when he lived with you, and a motley party-colored knave now he has come again. He had undoubtedly great learning and skill in controversy, but avarice was his master, and he was rewarded according to his deserts. The lonely fortress of Mont-Saint-Michel saw the end of a bitter controversialist, Noel Bede, who died there in 1587. He wrote 
Natalis Bedo, Doctoris Theologico Parisiensis, Annotationum in Erasmi Paraphrases Novi Testamente, et Jacobi Fabris Stapulensis Commentarios in Evangelistas, Paulique Epistolas, Libri Tres, Parisis, 1526, in folio. This work abounds in vehement criticisms and violent declamations. Erasmus did not fail to reply to his calumniator, and detected no less than eighty-one falsehoods, two hundred and six calumnies, and forty-seven blasphemies. Bade continued to denounce Erasmus as a heretic, and in a sermon before the court reproached the king for not punishing such unbelievers with sufficient rigor. The author was twice banished, and finally was compelled to make a public retractation in the church of Notre-Dame for having spoken against the king and the truth, and to be exiled to Mont-Saint-Michel. Translators of the Bible fared not well at the hands of those who were unwilling that the scriptures should be studied in the vulgar tongue by the lay folk, and foremost among that brave band of self-sacrificing scholars stands William Tyndale. His life is well known, and needs no recapitulation, but it may be noted that his books, rather than his work of translating the scriptures, brought about his destruction. His important work called The Practice of Prelates, which was mainly directed against the corruptions of the hierarchy, unfortunately contained a vehement condemnation of the divorce of Catherine of Aragon by Henry VIII. This deeply offended the monarch at the very time that negotiations were in progress for the return of Tyndale to his native shores from Antwerp, and he declared that he was very joyous to have his realm destitute of such a person. The practice of prelates was partly written in answer to the dialogue of Sir Thomas More, who was commissioned to combat the pernicious and heretical works of the impious enemies of the church. Tyndale wrote also a bitter answer to the dialogue, and this drew forth from More his abusive and scurrilous confutation, which did little credit to the writer or to the cause for which he contended Tyndale's longest controversial work, entitled The Obedience of a Christian Man, and How Christian Rulers Ought to Govern. Although it stirred up much hostility against its author, very favorably impressed King Henry, who delighted in it, and declared that the book was for him and for all kings to read. The story of the burning of the translation of the New Testament at St. Paul's Cross by Bishop Tunstall, of the same bishop's purchase of a heap of the books for the same charitable purpose, thereby furnishing Tyndale with means for providing another edition, and for printing his translation of the Pentateuch, all this is a thrice-told tale. Nor need we record the account of the conspiracy which sealed his doom. For sixteen months he was imprisoned in the castle of Vilvord, and we find him petitioning for some warm clothing and for a candle in the evening, for it is wearisome to sit alone in the dark, and above all for his Hebrew Bible, grammar, and dictionary, that he might spend his time in that study. After a long, dreary mockery of a trial on October 16, 1536, he was chained to a stake with faggots piled around him. As he stood firmly among the wood, with the executioner ready to strangle him, he lifted up his eyes to heaven, and cried with a fervent zeal and loud voice, 
Lord, open the king of England's eyes. And then, yielding himself to the executioner, he was strangled, and his body immediately consumed. That same year, by the king's command, the first edition of the Bible was published in London. If Tyndale had confined himself to the great work of translating the scriptures, and had abandoned controversy and his practice of prelates, his fate might have been different, but, as Mr. Froud says, he was a man whose history has been lost in his work, and whose epitaph is the Reformation. Another translator, whose fate was not so tragic, was the learned Arius Montanus, a Spaniard, who produced, at the command of King Philip II, the famous polyglot Bible printed at Antwerp in nine tomes. He possessed a wonderful knowledge of several languages, and devoted immense labor to this great work. But in spite of the royal approval of his work, his book met with much opposition on the part of the extreme Roman party, who accused him to the Pope and made many false charges against him. The Pope was enraged against Montanus, and he was obliged to go to Rome to plead his cause. He at length obtained pardon from the Pope, and escaped the chariots of fire which bore the souls of so many martyred saints to heaven. It is a curious irony of fate that Montanus, who was one of the chief compilers of the Index Expurgatorius, should live to see his own work placed on the condemned list. The story of the martyrdom of John Huss is well known, and need not here be related, but perhaps the books which caused his death are not so frequently studied, or their titles remembered. His most important work was De Ecclesia, in which he maintained the rigid doctrine of predestination, denied to the Pope the title Head of Church, declaring that the Pope is the vicar of St. Peter, if he walks in his steps, but if he give in to covetousness, he is the vicar of Judas Iscariot. He reprobates the flattery which was commonly used toward the Pope, and denounces the luxury and other corruptions of the cardinals. Besides this treatise, we have many others, Advent Indulgentius, De Erectione Crucis, etc. He wrote in Latin, Bohemian, and German, and recently his Bohemian writings have been edited by K. J. Urban, Prague. 1865. His plain speaking aroused the fury of his adversaries, and he knew his danger. On one occasion he made a strange challenge, offering to maintain his opinions in disputation, and consenting to be burnt if his conclusions were proved to be wrong, on condition that his opponents should submit to the same fate in case of defeat. But as they would only sacrifice one out of the company of his foes, he declared that the conditions were unequal, and the challenge was abandoned. When at last he was granted a safe conduct by the Emperor Sigismund, and trusted himself to the Council of Constance, his fate was sealed. Even in his noisome prison, his pen, when he could procure one, was not idle, and Huss composed during his confinement several tracts on religious subjects. At length his degradation was completed. A tall paper cap painted with hideous figures of devils was placed on his head, and a bishop said to him, We commit thy body to the secular arm, and thy soul to the devil. And I, replied the martyr, commit it to my most merciful Lord Jesus Christ. 
when on his way to execution he saw his fatal books being burnt amidst an excited crowd, he smiled and remarked on the folly of people burning what they could not read. Another translator of the Bible was Antonio Bruccioli, who published in Venice, in 1546, the following edition of the Holy Scriptures, Biblia en lengua toscana, cioè, i tutti i santi libri del vecchio e novo testamento, en lengua toscana dalla ebraica verita e fonte greco, con commento da Antonio Bruccioli. Although a Roman Catholic, he favored Protestant views, and did not show much love for either the monks or priests. His bold comments attracted the attention of the Inquisition, who condemned his work and placed it on the index. The author was condemned to death by hanging, but happily for him powerful friends interceded, and his punishment was modified to a two years' banishment. He died in 1555, when Protestant burnings were in vogue in England. Encinas, the author of a Spanish translation of the New Testament, entitled El Nuevo Testamento de Nuestro Redentor y Salvador Jesucristo, traducido en lengua castellana, en Ambaris, 1543, dedicated his work to Charles V, but it caused him to be imprisoned fifteen months. Happily, he discovered a means of escape from his dungeon, and retired to safe quarters at Geneva. In France he adopted the nom de plume of Dryander, and his history of the Netherlands and of the religion of Spain forms part of the Protestant martyrology published in Germany. The author's brother, John Dryander, was burnt at Rome in 1545. End of chapter 1, part 2